And so I thought to myself, like, I've got to start implementing all of these little 1% changes from these books. Because if five minutes of meditation a day compounded over the next 15 or 20 years could lead to a wildly different but positive place, I need to make sure I'm doing that on a daily basis. What up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Max McCoy, and this is Looking Up. Today, I'm joined by Nick Hutchison. He is the founder of Book Thinkers, an online platform that shares a ton of information around personal development books, and he just launched an app that helps people retain the books they read. This was a cool conversation, and Nick was someone I wanted to connect with because of how books have impacted me. Like at the start of my journey, when I felt the most lost, directionless in my life, the thing that really started to move that needle in the right direction for me was those first few books that really stretched my thinking to think in new ways. Because of books, I felt like this dormant part of me that might have been asleep my whole life began to come alive. And so I wanted to bring on, you know, someone who loved books as much as or more than I did, and that's Nick. Nick has read hundreds and hundreds of personal development books. He has built a business and a brand on the back of this idea that, you know, authors essentially pack decades of knowledge into days in the form of books and Nick really blew me away. He's read so many books, but his ability to retain that information and to teach that information is really special. And so this is a really good conversation all about reading, the power of reading, how we can find more time to read. Nick addresses some of the most frequently um, asked questions he gets around reading and how we can actually build this habit. And then we go into so many other lanes of personal development from getting out of your comfort zone to reaching out to potential mentors. We talk about travel uh, and we talk about a lot more. So Nick definitely is a like-minded brother, um, a friend from afar. So I was very glad to be able to connect with him and talk about some things that we're both passionate about. And I think you guys will get a lot of value out of this episode. Let me know how you liked the episode. Hit me up on Instagram. Send me a DM. Send me a piece that really resonated with you. Um, And then if you want, get joined and get added to my newsletter. I send weekly emails, the things that I'm working through in real time. I try to bring a lot of value to my newsletter community. So if you like the podcast, consider joining the newsletter. I will include a link below. Articles, reflections, book uh, recommendations, journal prompts, things that I'm using in real time, I send to that community. So I would love to have you. Um, But let's get into the episode. Thank you for listening to my long-winded intro. Um, Nick is a wealth of knowledge, and I think you'll learn a lot from him, as did I. So enjoy the podcast. Here we go. Nick, welcome to the podcast. I have really uh, enjoyed book thinkers and, and finding you organically, and I really appreciate what you're doing for the world and bringing these ideas out. Books are one of the things that have changed my life dramatically. So I appreciate you for joining me on the podcast, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about my favorite subject in the entire world, which is <laughs> books and how they can improve your life. One thing I really love about your businesses and brand is, you know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, I'm sure with any business, but it's the simplicity of it. And it's one of those things that, you know, the most simple things I regard as the most elegant things. And they're, they're those things that you say, man, like I could have done that or he could have done that, but no one did. And you just have done such a simple, but really profound thing. So I really admire that. And I wanted to just like share that with you for the people that appreciate that for the people that don't know book thinkers or you maybe give me a brief intro introduction. Tell me what you're all about and what your business is all about. Sure. Well, my name is Nick Hutchison. I'm a co-founder of book thinkers 
And I've only been reading for about five years. So I'm 26. I never read a book until I was 21 years old. And immediately after reading the first couple of books, my life changed mm-hmm. uh, in a dramatic way. So I think that discovering personal development as a genre or whatever you'd like to call it was a huge inflection point in my life. And so since then, I've read hundreds and hundreds of the world's best books and each time I read a book, I'm, I feel as though an author is condensing decades of information into days. I'm absorbing that information into my life. I'm implementing it directly into my life. And then I'm sharing those experiences with other people. And so Book Thinkers was born because of that change in my life. And here we are a few years later, and Book Thinkers is now a real business. And there are really two kind of overarching pieces to the business. There's the social community. And so on Instagram, that's our number one community. We have a few pages, but our main page has a little over 80,000 followers and the engagement is crazy. It's a community of nonfiction book readers of all different types, including a lot of the world's top authors. And they're all contributing with this content. People are having great discussions and I'm helping other people discover new books. And then we have the newer business side, which is the educational technology. So recently, uh, we've put out a mobile application that can be used to retain and implement more information from the books you love. Because after receiving information, thousands and thousands of DMs over the last couple of years, I identified a couple of problems that I wanted to solve, both in my life and in the lives of the community. And the main one is that people aren't remembering their biggest takeaways. They're reading a book, it's going in one, in one ear, staying in the brain for a little while, and then going out the other one after a couple of weeks. And so the app extends your relationship with each book that you're reading through spaced repetition and systematic reminders to go back and revisit your notes. So that's the other half of what Book Thinkers is doing. And uh, yeah, overall, I'm just communicating my love for books and how they can change your life. I love that. I would, I would beg you to maybe go even deeper on why you like why books, you know, for me, they were such a big thing. I'm only 25. So in a very similar boat and around that 20 year mark was when I found books and uh, personal development books in particular. And, you know, college, I was really putting a lot of energy towards school, really just looking for when it will feel right, when I find the information that makes me go, yes, this. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until I started reading books that it was like, you're able to read the words that almost you felt maybe on an intuitive level or on a deep level, but until you read them, maybe, at least for me, I didn't give myself the opportunity to believe these things or to go deeper on these things. What Tell me more about like what those first initial books did for you, because I think so many people can resonate with that. You know, maybe they've read a few books that have been really empowering, but that's a, that's a repeatable outcome you can have. So tell me more in your own words, what books have done for you. Well, my entire pro, you know, the entire transformation that I went through can definitely be replicated by other people. And that's a very important thing about books. Mm. Um, And so I was at a phase in my life in my early 20s, like 20 to 21, where I was finishing up college and I wasn't very fulfilled by the classroom. I would go through months of these lectures and participate in these classes. And although they did provide some value, overall, I didn't understand my why. Like I didn't feel any purpose. I was pretty average. I would go out and party a lot. I was operating from a place of ego and um, from a place of insecurity for most of that period of my life. And so I had taken an internship and an early sales mentor of mine recommended a couple books as a cure to that boredom in the classroom. He said, read these books. They're condensing real experience into days. You can implement them and the process is a lot faster. And so the first book that I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. 
And that book helped to dive into a lot of the insecurity that I had and the anxiety that I had around finances. I didn't know anything about money. I just knew that I needed it to survive. And so it sort of demystified money for me and it taught me the importance of having a financial mindset and education. And so that single experience, basically I was like, okay, here's an author. He's done what I want to do and he's done it really well, which is be financially free and independent. He's giving me a framework to do this. I can model that and implement it into my life. And during that process, I'm also getting rid of my anxiety on the subject because I'm educating myself. Mm. And so now I can not only implement these tools into my life and I could put that tool into my tool belt, but I can also teach other people. And now I'm a connector. I'm help, it's helping to socialize. Um, it's improving every area of my life. And I'm like, well, finances is just one area of life. I could probably read about successful people in any other discipline and implement those into my life too. And so that aha moment was like, boom. And so as I started to document it in my social media, people started to say like, oh, what's a good book for this? What's a good book for that? And that became my mechanism for changing other people's lives as well. Yeah, I just, I love reading because of what it did for me. I love how you said that you learn from someone doing the thing that you wanted to do or learning from someone that's actually done real world experience and compacted it into days. That's such a powerful point. I was just talking to someone yesterday who is an 18 year old. He's, he's deciding not to go to college and he's really nervous about it. And I'm on the other end of college looking back saying, you're doing the right thing, or at least you should feel good about that. If you don't have a discipline you want to pursue, books can provide so much. And what you said was such the perfect way to put it. If you want to learn something, you can just go after someone that has essentially done what you want to do and learn from them directly rather than paying maybe $50,000 for a degree that you're uncertain about. So that's super powerful. Yeah. Uh, One of the questions that I get the most often is like, what book should I start with? Or if I'm not motivated to read, how can I become more motivated to read? And I think that there are two ways to approach the answer to that question. Either I think the first one and the easiest one is to identify somebody that you'd like to be like. So if that's Elon Musk, if that's Jeff Bezos, if that's Steve Jobs, if that's Albert Einstein, like pick whoever you want to be like, and then go read about those people because they've all either written books or have bitten or have been written about. And you can go deeper into their lives and understand what they did to become successful and then model that, put that into your own reality, implement it. And then you'll be hooked because you'll realize how amazing it is to get to that deeper level. And then the second thing, which I think is far more common for people, if they don't have that person defined in their life, is to pick a couple of skill sets that you'd like to be better at or that you'd like to improve. And then go pick the best books in those areas and then implement them. And so if you'd like to become healthier, go pick a health book. If you'd like to become better at communicating with your loved ones, then go pick a book on communication. And then that'll be, you know, you have a desired outcome. And so because you've defined that desired outcome, and now you know the book can help you bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be, you'll be motivated to go through that experience. So that's just, uh, I wanted to add that in there real quick. Oh, that's amazing. And it's, yeah, I love, I'm tying that back to what you said before about that will one, reduce your anxiety. Oh, I know where I want to go, but I don't know how to get there. I'm s- that book will open up so many doors for you in terms of, oh, I have so many more ideas. I at least know I'm moving in the right direction now. You'll feel confident. And I think that's so empowering. What are some other things that kind of trip people up that you have found uh, in regards to what you just said in terms of finding, you know, the books they want to read or, or implementing them? What, what have you found in terms of reading in general um, people have maybe trouble with initially? 
Yeah, people people oftentimes will just ask their friends or family, like, what's the what's your favorite book? And then they'll go ahead and they'll read a book that's not a good fit for them. Yeah. And the problem is that now you're going to think that the entire reading experience uh, is not for you. And so that happens so often. Uh, another thing is people don't realize that reading is a skill just like anything else in life. And so I have friends that say, well, I'm not very good at reading, therefore I don't read. And so they're self-identifying as something other than a reader. And like some of my friends golf. And so I say, if I went out and I played 18 with you and I've never golfed before once in my entire life, do you think that I would be able to keep up? Do you think I would be competitive? The answer is no, because you've practiced a lot. And so with reading, uh, oftentimes you're trying to compare yourself with somebody who's been reading for a very long time and match their excitement, maybe match the genre of books that makes their heart go boom. And it's just not going to work like that. You need to start slow with a good book that's a good fit for you. And I would also encourage people to start with smaller books. If you pick up a book that uh, is extremely intimidating and is going to take you six months to go through because you only have the discipline to read for to read for a couple of pages a day, like you're, you're really hurting your opportunity to implement this into your life. So those are a couple more things. Totally. That I'm thinking back to my process and that's definitely what helped me was fi finally finding the books that I was like, Oh, these are actually books that I can implement right away. And that made me want to read and read and read. And then I definitely started with very tiny books, like as a man thinketh or uh, the greatest salesman in the world, these tiny, tiny books. I remember reading an article that said three personal development books you can read in a weekend. I was like, yeah, we, that's my book. <laughs> and so uh, such great advice. How do you go about now that you're trying to, I don't know if you can resonate with this. I now buy more books. No, you for sure can resonate with this. I can see your bookshelf. <laughs> I, I buy more books than I can handle. Like my, it's in regards to like eating. My eyes are bigger than my stomach. Same goes with reading. So now I'm so much more um, compelled to really protect my reading time. Um, and when I don't, it's, it's just, it's not a good feeling to see these books and I'm so excited to read, but I just haven't gotten through the one I'm excited about right now. How do you go about protecting scheduling your reading time in a way that you can actually have this as a substantial part of your life? Mm -hmm. Well, in the, in the, it's a good question. And I think that there are a couple different ways to answer it. I don't know that I have the best answer in my personal life yet. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you right now I'm reading for anywhere between 15 to 20 hours a week. And so I spend a lot of time reading and I spend a lot of time implementing that information. Reading is now my business. I'm paid to read. So I love doing that. But in the early stages, yeah. um, I definitely, you know, it was very difficult to balance. And I think that one of the easiest time principles or time management principles is that instead of trying to find time, replace an existing activity that's low priority with reading. And so that might be a little bit of Netflix. That might be um, a night out per week with your friends or something like that. But replace an existing activity that you know is not contributing to who you want to be in 5, 10, or 20 years with reading good personal development books. Once you have that time slotted out and you know how fast you read, uh, like per page or something like that, pages per hour, you'll know how much you can fit in. And I have way more books than I'll ever be able to read in a lifetime. And that happens. Uh, but I think it's a better problem than not reading in the first place. So I would definitely encourage people to get addicted to have these <laughs> books. And also, like, I look at these books as play bigger triggers. When I see my library, my library every day and I work from this room, like, I'm motivated my subconscious is fed and it's happy and it's excited. So I would encourage people, you know, buy the books that you want to read. Maybe you won't get to all of them, 
but you will play bigger because of them. It's so true. Yeah, I I love looking at my, like something about the books. I've grown addicted to them. That's a great word. Um, Dude, you're such a great communicator and so concise, but you, you're, you're great. You're great at explaining things. And on your podcast, uh, I was really impressed. People should check out your podcast, by the way. It's brand new. It's really great. Um, I'm really impressed by your ability to just take in information with these high level thinkers and then be able to react right away and not only react, but to do so in a concise manner. And as I've been podcasting, I've grown to really appreciate communicators and being able to see the gaps in my own communication as I try to work on them. Has reading been one of those things? Um, you, like you said, reading's a muscle or a skill. Has that kind of improved your communication uh, skills? 100%. Mm. And so for anybody that's listening to this, uh, I had like really bad social anxiety skills for most of my life. Mm. And so even through my 20s, I was terrified to speak in public. Mm. I couldn't talk to girls at the bar. I couldn't talk to guys that I was intimidated to talk to. And because of that, I had a lot of verbal pauses in my language. Like I was just very bad at communicating. Mm. And so books definitely help bridge that gap. I learned very early on that intentionally embracing discomfort is how you can progress. Mm. And so I, public speaking was my minor in college and it was terrifying to make that decision. But I said, if I'm going to be better at communicating, which is a skill that can help in every single area of your life, regardless of discipline, then I need to embrace this. I need to intentionally put myself through the pain. And so I took public speaking classes, a handful of them. I took sales jobs Mm. and I'll never forget. I worked for a company called Collegiate Entrepreneurs. And it was uh, an opportunity for students to run their own house painting businesses, but you needed to do everything end to end. You needed to market and sell, hire and fire. You needed to manage the actual painting. And so on my very first day out, I had developed this awesome script that I was going to use. And I went out to go start knocking on doors, which is a terrifying experience for somebody who has legit social anxieties. And I forgot everything. I knocked on the first door And I said, Hey, do you want an estimate? And they're like, who are you in an estimate for what? And I just completely blanked 90% of my script. And so I just, I use that story as an example because I went from a place where I was the world's worst speaker and I was terrified to a place where I feel very confident. And I do believe that over half of that can be credited to books. And if you just take that one lesson that I learned that you need to embrace discomfort, which I got from books, then a hundred percent of it can be accredited to books. And what ways do you recommend other people will kind of embrace discomfort? I think social anxiety is a very common thing. That's something Mm -hmm. I've dealt with as well. And I, I would say I'm very comfortable and confident in certain situations, but then you, you know, it's another situation. Those social anxieties can come up real hard. So that's something I still actively work on. What are some, and I have found very similarly, a podcast is a great way to get out of your comfort zone, talking to new people. What are ways that you recommend, uh, you know, people do that? Or, or what are the ways that you're doing that still? You know, you get used to doing things out of your comfort zone. So maybe what are the new ways in which you're trying to do that? Yeah, it's, uh, well, I'll <laughs> tell you when I first started, it was simply through experience. And so by experiencing something that you're uncomfortable to, you are desensitizing yourself to that experience. If you're afraid of heights, if you climb a ladder every day, eventually you're not going to be afraid of heights anymore. And that's because you are desensitizing yourself to that experience. You're also building your willpower. And so by controlling your brain, 
if you tell your brain, I'm going to go do this, eventually, once you master that willpower, you'll be able to go do that. And so a lot of people say, well, willpower isn't the key. Willpower doesn't work. For me, it did. And like a, a stupid, simple example is cold showers. And that's a very popular example, but it is very difficult towards the end of your shower to crank it to freezing cold water and to sit under that water. But once you do it for a while, you're desensitizing yourself to the cold, but you're also mastering that willpower reflex. When your brain says, put it cold instead of putting it to off, eventually you'll strengthen that and it will become second nature. Experience what you're uncomfortable with. The same thing goes for public speaking. Um, I used to play this game, and this is a little informal, but I used to play this game with my friends at the bar. And everybody has, you know, every guy experiences that, uh, you know, butterflies when you're going to go approach a girl at a bar. And so, you know, you would dare each other to go up and say goofy pickup lines. And the purpose wasn't to get those people to talk to you. It's to desensitize yourself to that fear. And so we would go out every night, every weekend, a couple times, and we would play that game. And eventually, all of a sudden, the wall between speaking to a girl, you know, versus just kind of shriveling back and being uncomfortable, like it disappears and it becomes a fun experience. And so I, don't, I, I rambled on for a little no, bit, but perfect. those are some, those are some answers. <laughs> no, not rambling on at all. I mean, I, uh, for me, I've noticed the extent in which I could get outside my comfort zone or at least get used to those things is to the extent in which my life can grow. And it's almost like a one-to-one -one ratio of, am I getting out of my comfort zone and is my life improving? Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, and it's almost like you're paying for um, growth and, ex and, and fulfillment in your life by maybe having those, you know, it doesn't feel good to pay for something. You feel like you're losing something, you're losing your comfort, but you're getting so much back. It's almost like you're having an exchange. So I imagine for you, that's a big part of your growth. Your business's growth is your ability to continually get out of your comfort zone. It is. And the principle or the idea of the adjacent possible is very related to this. And so once you approach the wall of your comfort zone, once you get outside of that box, then other things become possible that you wouldn't have thought were possible. And that's sort of a form of daily affirmations. If every day you can become uncomfortable, you can identify an opportunity to, to feel those butterflies, mm. then other opportunities do open up in your life. And so the example is the version of me who was a very uncomfortable speaking to anybody in any situation, virtual, in person, whatever the case may be, a classroom full of people or one person, like that person couldn't be hosting a podcast and talking to some of the world's top authors. But because I started to bridge that gap, other opportunities started to open up and other things became possible. And that is very fulfilling. And so mm -hmm. I'm motivated by progress, progress in my health, progress in my wealth and progress in my communication with friends, family, and, uh, you know, relationships. And those things all get better when I become uncomfortable in those situations. So yeah, mm. big fan of just running at fear full speed. Absolutely. Uh, how has that process been working with some of these best authors in the world? I am blown away by some of the people you have on your podcast. Jim Quick, who I know personally, he's a great guy. Greg McEwen, I mean, Car uh, Grant Cardone. And that's just like a few. I mean, these are some of the biggest authors in the world. What has that process been like for you? getting to pick the brains of some of the, the world's leading authors. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing process and, you know, I had to find a reason to talk to these people. I wanted to learn from them outside of just their books. I wanted to ask personal questions. I wanted to get into the network. And so I couldn't just say, Hey, Grant Cardone, 
you know, you have a couple of billion dollars in real estate. You want to jump on the phone with me and talk like I'm a nobody. So I needed to find a way to get there. And that was sort of through the podcast. And there's a lot of value for the listeners, you know, but there's also a lot of value for myself. And so I try to balance, hey, market your book and let's talk about some things that you have going on. But also let me ask some personal questions that are bugging me. Mm. And like Greg McEwen, who wrote Essentialism, I had some issues that I was dealing with, with prioritizing my time and how to find the disciplined pursuit of less, like what activities were going to help springboard me into where I want to be. And so I asked some very vulnerable questions and you can listen to most of that exchange. And yeah, it was like such an enlightening moment for me. And so I love these people. They've all written books because they want to give back, not just to make money, but all of these people have something that they want to share. And so the curtain gets closed for a lot of successful people. These authors have opened it up and they're vulnerable. They're ready to talk and they're trying to put a positive dent in the world. So it's been super fulfilling for a trillion different reasons. And yeah, I love the whole experience. Do you have any advice for people looking to, con- I think that's one of the best forms of education is being able to connect with people outside of your immediate network. And especially maybe, a, I don't want to see say better than, but just a little tier ahead of you, because that's, those are the type of people you can learn the most from. What are some kind of do's and don'ts in terms of reaching out to these people? Because that alone is a, a huge skill that if someone can get better at reaching out to people out of their quote unquote pay grade, they're able to have the opportunity to learn at rates that other people just can't. So what are some do's and don'ts there? The number one thing that everybody needs to realize is that you need to provide value first before you ask for value. So if you're asking for somebody's time, just saying like, Hey, let's grab coffee or Hey, respond to my question or DM. Like that's not providing value. And so there are a lot of different ways to provide value. It can be as simple as reminding them of who they used to be and like aspiring to be like that person, you know, Mm. Hey, Grant Cardone, I admire what you're doing. I want to be just like you. Like that is providing value because now they feel good, but also offering them something for free off. Hey, can I do something for you? Hey, do you want to be on my podcast? I do a million impressions a week. You know, you can sell your book, whatever the case is, there's, there's different ends to that threshold, but you just need to provide value. Mm -hmm. And then another sort of mindset shift that needs to take place, I believe is that they're just people. They're just like us. They did make a series of decisions that allowed them to be where they are today. But most of the time they want to share those decisions. And so they're people connect with them, ask them, you know, provide value first, but then ask them like normal human to human. Don't be a fan, be a friend. I do think that that's another thing that I've learned from a lot of these people is that Mm. you can't be both a fan and a friend. You can Mm. really only be one or the other. So it's very difficult to say to a sports athlete, like, Hey, sign this, sign this. Do you want to go get a drink after the game? Like, those two things don't go well together. Mm. So it's either one or the other. Do you want to be a fan or do you want to be a friend? And also by like coming from a place of wanting to be a friend, you're also putting yourself on the same playing field as them. And they'll definitely respect that. One of the ways that I have learned more than anything in the world, you know, books really changed my life around that 20 year old age. Like I said, was packing up my shit and leaving the country and being alone for a few months I have seen, I've did some, done some research. I know travel is important to you. It um, is, yeah. Travel was one of those things that just blew my world wide open because everything is new. You know, the place, the people, the language, and your brain is really forced to kind of start figuring things out. And in that, I was able to see my relationship with myself was the only constant. It was the only thing that didn't change. And so that 
that connection to myself uh, really blossomed. I share that because I know, like I said, travel was important for you. How is that, you know, speaking beyond books for a moment, what, what has travel been for you in terms of a learning experience? Because I, I love to give that gift to people just to nudge them maybe to, uh, to mm -hmm. think of that as a possibility. There are an infinite number of benefits to traveling internationally, but the, the default one that I always go back to is intentionally embracing discomfort. Mm. Like you, I, I, well, I, so I solo traveled. Did you solo travel when you went? Yeah. yeah. Where'd you go? I did a few months in Europe and then I did a, a month in Colombia. So not, okay. not long enough. I wish I could do like a year and that's still on my, my radar, but yeah, it was about four months. No, that's awesome. I mean, I, I want to do that as well at some point. So my first solo travel experience was for work. Um, I, I flew down to Panama by myself to go wow. meet a, a prospective client and I didn't speak any Spanish and the whole experience was terrifying, but it only lasted a couple of days. Then I went on some international trips with some friends and family. One of my friends, he wrote an article about solo travel and talked about all of the benefits of traveling alone as compared to being with other people. And so that convinced me that I needed to go through that experience. Then I read the four hour work week and I read about how Tim Ferriss solo traveled to Argentina. And like I, so anyway, I packed up my bags one day and I went to Argentina for five weeks by myself. Didn't speak the language, didn't know anybody in South America as an entire continent, never mind the country of Argentina. Uh, and spent most of my time in Buenos Aires, but the entire experience was so uncomfortable for me. Showed up at the airport, I took a taxi ride. I uh, didn't have any cash on me, didn't speak the language. You know, the guy wanted cash in Spanish. And so like that started off my experience. I booked an Airbnb where the security downstairs didn't speak any English. And I was trying to tell them like, hey, I'm a new guest who's going to be here for five weeks. And um, then the person that gave me my little tour for the Airbnb didn't speak any English. And then here I am, I'm parched. You know, I'm in Buenos Aires. I need to go find a way to buy water at the store. And that was so intimidating to me. And I'm like, wow, I never realized how uncomfortable solo travel could be. But then I looked back at the end of that first five-week experience and thought that was way too short. I had such a great time. I met so many amazing people. I discovered new continents within myself, which is something that Rolf Potts talks about in the book Vagabonding, which I'm a big fan of. Great book. And so, yeah, travel an infinite number of benefits to doing it and international travel, learning new languages, new cultures, um, learning to meet new people. Like all of those things are things that I think everybody needs to experience. Like my, my next step post book thinkers is definitely going to be living internationally for a long period of time. And I would love, like, even if I had a bazillion dollars in the bank account, I would go apply for a waitress job or a waiter job at a restaurant in downtown Medellin just so that I could interact with people a thousand times a day and improve my Spanish. And like, those are the things that I look forward to in life. Mm, I resonate with you, man. A, a large part of what I'm doing is setting myself up for, you know, in maybe five ish or less years to be full-time abroad for at least, you know, a year, hopefully more. So I resonate with that. Yeah. Uh, who is, um, who's someone that you kind of model after we've talked about Tim Ferriss a little bit. He's been a big influence on me. I see you as being in a very unique lane. And when we're in unique lanes, it's, it's difficult to find people that are doing what we want to do. And that's part of this, like finding your own way. But is there anybody in particular that you model and you kind of look at their life, their career, um, and, and you kind of 
follow in their footsteps. I, I know there's a lot of books you've read and a lot of people you've connected with. So it's, it's a little bit from each, but it, does one stand out? Well, we've been talking about Tim for a little bit, but Tim stands out to me just because yeah. he started a business. He found a way to automate it and make himself location independent. He sold a business or two. He got into investing. Uh, he wrote a couple books. You know, he started an amazing podcast where he could recommunicate this information to people all over the world. And then he dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah. And so now true. he's just focused on like himself and he's focused on his friends and family. And yes, he, he does communicate to the outside world in the form of a podcast uh, or writing books. But outside of that, I mean, the guy is totally by himself. And what's super cool about Tim, for people that know him, he is, you know, he's Tim Ferriss. He is amazing. He's everything that everybody wants to be. But for the 99.9% .9 of people that don't know who Tim Ferriss is, he's completely unrecognizable. And I want to be that same way. Like I want to help people and I want to communicate to people the values that I've learned from these amazing books. And I'm sure I'll come up with some of my own cliches at some point to talk about, but I want to be able to travel the world with my family and, and provide for my loved ones in a way that is not in the public spotlight at all. And so when I'm in a foreign country, I don't want people asking to take pictures. I want people interested because I speak English and I'm trying to learn their language and they appreciate that. And so I do kind of find myself in that Tim Ferriss mindset. And I'll just, I'll give one other name um, just for everybody to look up. Ryan Holiday. I love Ryan Holiday. He's written on a lot of different subjects, but he is a big fan of a philosophy called Stoicism. And I love Stoicism for a million different reasons. And we can always go into that if you choose to, or leave it for a later conversation. But Ryan Holiday, he goes very deep into subjects that a lot of us don't pay attention to. And he pulls out valuable information. He makes it digestible for other people. And that's in the form of books. But he's also very focused on his life and his family. And a lot of people wouldn't recognize him on the street. And so I also admire him for being able to become location independent, provide for his family, you know, and then just do what he loves. And so that's another person that I like. I really resonate with both of the people and I really appreciate you putting it in the way you did because that so aligns with, I think what motivates me and you, you touched on the point family multiple times. And it, I really do admire the way both of them can be, I like to put it as like violent in their work, but they're also kind of living normal lives it seems. And they really do appreciate the flavors of life, whether it's Ryan holidays, you know, he lives on a farm, he has a family, he has kids. He's, he's truly living a good life. And so he's one of those few people that I see and I'm like, you have achieved some incredible mm -hmm. feats professionally and you have gone so deep. And uh, one of my favorite books is deep work. And I really think Ryan holiday is the, the pinnacle of someone who can go so deep, pr like produce at the highest level, you know, best-selling book after best-selling book, but then he can go home and spend time with his family. He has, you know, he says he doesn't work late. He's out in his farm uh, and Tim Ferriss, similarly, how he's able to, you know, live what he talks about. He's able to travel. He's able to just drop off the earth for a little bit. He's, he's able to live on his terms, which I think at the end of the day is what a lot of us want more than anything. And it's very cool to hear you say that so many people are driven by, I want to build a business to build a business to build, a, you know, it's almost this egoic game, but to hear that you have a means to an end uh, is very cool. How do you go about discerning which advice at this point to implement and which to leave? I think the more books you read, sometimes these personal development books are so powerful. And I'm like, yes, this is it. I'm going to rearrange my whole life. And then the next one comes and it's, I'm going to rearrange my, and it's, 
you have to start being discerning in terms of which advice you follow. How do you go about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Like I look at, I do read a lot of opposing arguments intentionally because I love to find what's a good fit for me. Mm. So rich dad, poor dad, use other people's money, use debt as leverage and then build cash flow and you know buy rental properties, which I have by the way. Mm. Or total money makeover, Dave Ramsey, avoid debt forever, always buy in cash, make sure that you know you build up a kind of like a an emergency fund and never spend it. And so for me, I side with Robert Kiyosaki, but I use a little bit of what Dave Ramsey has going on. And so I like to read opposing arguments and I like to kind of find what works best for me. And in every single book that I read, I know there's at least one valuable piece of information. Even if I hate the rest of the book, there's one valuable piece of information. Mm. And that might not be new. It might validate the lane that I'm already in, which is totally fine. And I don't need to change. I might implement that technique by furthering my attention of that piece of life, or I might implement something new or a dozen things that are new and try them out. And then those, those things might get pushed out if I don't find that they have a big impact. So mm. that's kind of how I would answer that question. I've heard you talk about having an accountability group. Uh, what, I, I don't remember the details, but it was on your podcast. You're talking about you have people that you check in with either weekly, monthly. How has that process been? How do you recommend people going about obtaining accountability? I think that is something you know, I have some in my life, but I'm, as you're talking, I'm, I'm excited because I see a huge opportunity right there is where, who can I have more accountability with? Who can I reflect with? And what ways can I be more self-aware about who I truly am? And then allowing my network to almost fill in the gaps for me. If I'm, if I'm meeting them halfway, how do you kind of set up accountability for yourself? Well, your head is definitely in the right place because you're looking at it from that perspective. Uh, Years ago, I read a book called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And in that book, he talks about um, small steps in the right direction can change your life over a long period of time. He gives this example just for everybody to imagine that if a plane is going from LA and it's heading to New York City, which is a 3,000 mile span, if the nose of the plane is off by just 1% when it takes off, as that 1% compounds, it'll actually end up about 150 miles from New York City. And so I thought to myself, like, I've got to start implementing all of these little 1% changes from these books, because if five minutes of meditation a day compounded over the next 15 or 20 years could lead to a wildly different, but positive place, I need to make sure I'm doing that on a daily basis. And in that same book, the compound effect, he talks about the importance of measuring your activity, because how can you manage an improvement if you don't know what the baseline is? So I started to measure my activity. I would set goals each week put them in this Excel, this shared Excel spread, uh, spreadsheet with a couple of my friends. And we would all look at like, okay, I set a hundred different tasks for myself this week and I only hit 72. Here are the 28 that I didn't hit. Why didn't I hit them? And so we start to manage improvement. And I did this with a couple of friends that were interested in reading the book with me at the same time. We all had similar goals of being successful in life. And it was very early on in my process. So I didn't have all of this defined yet, but we just said, let's implement what we learned from the book. And so now I'm over two years into meeting every single week with these guys. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, com you know, and the, the group of people has definitely changed, but the core people have been a couple of my closer friends that just have bigger goals than the rest of my friends do. And that's totally okay. You need a balance of people in your life. Um, some friends are there to go out and party with. Some friends are there to go to the movies with. Some are there to read books with you. And so those people 
um, in my life that I meet with weekly have helped me in a tremendous way. Uh, we always challenge each other to be more and more accountable. So we meet weekly for an hour to review the previous week's activity. Mm -hmm. And in that hour, we each talk about last week, okay? What was the biggest success? What was the biggest failure and why for both of them? For the success, how can we replicate that and make sure that we keep doing it? For the failure, how can we clean it up? And what's the mechanism to do that? And we help each other throughout the week. Like, hey, by the way, did you end up finishing that book that you said you were going to finish? Mm -hmm. And it's a shared set of Google spreadsheets so we all can see each other's stuff in each other's progress throughout the week. Mm -hmm. And then for you know, for uh, the next upcoming week, we make sure that we challenge each other, that we have a lot going on, that we're introducing things from the books that we're reading. And yeah, that group is, um, <laughs> it's helped my life in so many different ways. And now I have two of them. I meet, I meet uh, two different groups of people each week to cover the same material, but like, that's how valuable it is for me. Sounds like, yeah, sounds super valuable. And I hope people listening take that as a an opportunity to reflect on where, you know, we don't have to have the system so refined just yet, but where can we implement, you know, something like this? How can I get together a few of my most like-minded people in my life and how can we kind of level each other up? I like this idea of having, you know, when the two people connect and really start talking about what they have going on, it's as if a third mind develops and, and with, is, that, yeah. with four or five people, how many minds are being created out of that um, through the, the sharing of ideas, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And thinking grow rich. He talks about the idea of a mastermind group. And so that's one of the other reasons that this started. Like one plus one can equal more than two if the minds are motivated and, and focused on solving the right problem. And so it's also sort of how Book Thinkers was created was in one of those little mastermind sessions, but a very informal one years and years prior. And so the, the other thing that I wanted to share on this subject, which I think is, it, it was a really important realization for me. Uh, Ty Lopez, who a lot of people think is scammy and an internet marketer, like he was yeah. the best internet marketer for a while. So there's something to learn there. But in one of his TED talks, he says something called the rule of 33%. He says, 33% of your time should be spent with people who haven't achieved what you've achieved yet. And so for me, that is going on book thinkers and communicating to this group of 80,000 people on a daily basis what I'm learning from books because it helps to refresh your fundamentals. And now there are people in that community that have achieved way more than I ever even hoped to, but at the same time, a lot of them are looking for very basic book recommendations. And so this also happens with friends and family in my personal life. Like I, I need to refresh the fundamentals. Yeah. That middle group of 33%, that's your peer group. And you need to make sure that your peer group stands up to the test of time. Like those aren't deadbeat people because, you know, that popular line, we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with can work in two different ways. It can either help motivate you or it can tear you down. And even if you think that you can, you know, you've got people who are unmotivated and maybe with bad money habits, maybe with bad health habits, maybe with bad communication styles, like you might think that you're immune to it, but on a subconscious level, you're not fulfilling your potential by being around those people. So that's my success buddies group. That's what we call ourselves, success buddies. And I have a couple different groups of success buddies, but we're all peers and we act like peers. We're vulnerable with each other. We communicate openly and we're very like results oriented. And that's why we're measuring this activity. And then the last group of 33%, those are people that you want to be like and who have done what you want to do, maybe even 10 times what you want to do. And that is the hardest group of people to be around, but it can come in the form of books. And Ty Lopez in that same TED talk, he said, 
to the group of people, hey, raise your hand if you would come over to my house for dinner tonight if I told you that Steve Jobs and Albert Einstein and Jeff Bezos and whoever you want to be like is coming over for dinner and you could ask them whatever you want. And everybody's like, I'd pay a trillion dollars for that. And you say, well, I have their books and it's the same thing. You need to spend a third of your time with those people. And, you know, that again, there's a trillion things that help me kind of like develop this mindset, but that was just one of them. And so that's, you know, I would really encourage people to spend more time with people that they want to be like. I love that. And I love how you start each answer. It's very humble of you, but it's, it's, I, I think very highly of you for being able to recall the books and the authors so quickly. I ask you a question, you have a book and then you go into it. Like that is very impressive to me and how your brain works, how you're able to systematize, (laughs) systematize information. Let's talk about retention. Um, we're wrapping up here, but I, I have to hit this point. You know, we, we read books. How do we make sure that we remember what we're reading? You are showing me, you are literally performing for me how well you're able to re- uh, retain these books that you have learned. I know you have an app out. So what are some of the foundation, uh, the fundamentals to reta- uh, retaining the books that we read? There's two primary ones in my life. The first is organization and the second is spaced repetition. And so organization is very important. You need to be able to take your biggest takeaways from each book and put them in a place that is easily accessible and uniform. Maybe that's labeling your notes, but whatever the case is, like all of your book notes need to go into the same place. Mm. And I did that in an Evernote document for a very long time. Every time I finished a book, I would sit down, I would put the book there and I would type up all of my notes. And that was a little bit of a tedious process for me, but by typing up my notes, I am revisiting that information. But reading a book also can't be a single experience. It needs to be an ongoing experience. And that is the right way to learn. Learning is revisiting this information all of the time. And each time that you revisit that information, you are, strength, you are strengthening your relationship to it. You're digging a neural pathway. You're defaulting to it. So when somebody says organization, I think essentialism, Greg McEwen, I love that book. Here are my favorite takeaways, just because that's my default neural pathway. Mm. And so I've organized the information. I used to do it on an Evernote document. Like I said, now I do it in the book thinkers, smart retention mobile app. Um, But then spaced repetition, like I was saying, it can't just be a single experience. So you need to revisit all of the time. And years ago, I listened to a podcast uh, it's called the Science of Success Podcast. The host is Matt Bodner, and he had a guest on that I can't recall. Uh, but the guest said, I got rid of my TV, and I put up a bookshelf. And every couple months, I would stop reading new books, and I would just go back and reread my old book notes. And he wrote them physically on the inside covers of the books. And I thought to myself, okay, spaced repetition is a learning principle. It's a framework for learning that is clearly very effective. Rereading book notes increases your opportunity to retain them. That guy does it systematically, so that's a good system. How can I put this into a phone so that it happens automatically? How can I revisit these book notes over time to make sure that they're always top of mind and that I can recall them and that I strengthen my relationship to them? And so that's where the idea for the app came. It's a place to organize your book notes, but if you choose for certain books, you can turn on systematic reminders. And those reminders follow what's called a learning, uh, a forgetting curve. And that forgetting curve states that up front, you need to be pulsed with that information in shorter intervals because you're more likely to forget it. You've just read it. It hasn't been ingrained in your brain yet. And so you get hit a couple times within the first month with that information. Then over time, that spaced repetition grows in duration. 
And so once it's ingrained in your brain, you can go months without revisiting that information, but it's still top of mind. There's always a period of time that it will disappear though. And book thinkers will pulse you right at that specific time to go back in, to reread your book notes. And we have what's called a reminder queue, which is just a little task list. If you have any open books that need to be read, you'll go, you'll click in, you'll reread those book notes, you'll mark it as complete and it'll disappear from the list. And so I did that process manually for a very long time. That's why I can recall so many of these books. And uh, now the Apple, it'll automate that process for you. Amazing. And I think that was a perfect segue into what's next for book thinkers. Give me and my audience, you know, where can we find you? Where are some of the, the easy ways to connect with you? I definitely recommend people check out your podcast. Um, so much value there. So plug yourself as, as, all over if you can. Yeah, there, there's three areas right now. There's the podcast. So it's called the Book Thinkers Life Changing Books podcast. You can search book thinkers on wherever you listen and it'll be there. So that's one good place. Instagram is where you can communicate with me. And so I do answer every DM. Sometimes it takes a couple of days if, uh, if I have a busy day because there's a trillion of them, but I answer every single DM and it's really me. I oftentimes answer the voice message or with a video because I want to have a real relationship to these people that I'm talking with. And so Instagram at bookthinkers is the second best place. And the third is the website, bookthinkers.com. You could also just Google bookthinkers. It'll pop right up. Last question I like to end with is we're very close in age. I'm 25, you're 26, but I'm still going to run this with you. What would be a piece of advice or encouragement you would give yourself uh, at age 25? I would set bigger goals for myself. Hmm. And last year, the idea that the mobile, so the beginning of 25, I had no idea that this mobile application was ever going to be a thing. I had no dreams of starting a podcast. And I had no dreams of starting an e-commerce platform. And so in the last year, all three of those things have come to fruition. And now my peers are people like you mentioned, the Jim Quicks and the Grant Cardones. And like, I would just set bigger goals because Grant Cardone, 10X, fantastic book in my opinion. It's a little bit salesy, but he said to me on the podcast, like, you know, his biggest regret in life was not setting big enough goals. And every time he got complacent, he slipped. He got taken advantage of. Things didn't work out the way that he wanted. And so now I've 10X'd my goals. So I'll use that instead. 10X your goals. Mm, I love it, Nick. Thank you, man. Thank you for taking the time. I learned a whole lot from you and I appreciate what you do in the world. Absolutely. That does it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Share this episode if you like it. Send it to your mom, your grandma, your brother, whoever might like it. Share a screenshot to Instagram. I love when you guys do that. Again, if you're interested in learning with me and if you want me to send you articles, book recommendations, journal prompts, or anything else I can think of to support you, get added to the newsletter. I'll include a link in the show notes below. I love you guys. I hope you guys are having a good day. See you on the next episode. Bye, bye, bye.